On today's show, a change of pace. We go back to the NBA draft and look ahead as well with a full deep dive into second round pick Muhammad Gay. We'll have all that with Bryce Hendricks and more on the way. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1513 of the Lockdown Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Sunday evening into Monday here in early July. And today's podcast is brought to you by the folks at PrizePix. If you're a first time user, get 100% as a deposit match up to $100 with promo code locked on. That is prizepix.com, promo code locked on. I shall also tell you at the top of the podcast to make us your first listen each and every day. Check out the podcast and subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts, places like Spotify or Apple Podcasts. We're also on YouTube on the video side. And again, anywhere you get your podcasts. I am joined today by Bryce Hendricks, who covers the NBA draft as well as Washington State basketball over at Upside Swings Podcast. I've been on that podcast before, but Bryce is a very, very eager and talented NBA draft scout. And I honestly called him first to talk about Muhammad Gay. So we've been doing a lot of free agency stuff on this podcast, lots of trade stuff. And, of course, we'll have more draft stuff to come with Summer League looming. And in fact, the Hawks play a Summer League game on Friday. But in the middle of all of that, I recorded a couple days ago with Bryce, sort of a deep dive, about 30 minutes or so, just on Muhammad Gay. So that's what you're getting today on the podcast. And then we'll have more on Bufkin. We had Seth Lundy last week with Bill DeFilippo. We have all kinds of stuff on free agency. So I recommend listening and subscribing and checking out all of the podcasts, including all the free agency stuff. The emergency podcast I did on Saturday about the trade involving Uzma, Uzma Garuba and Tata Washington should also be in your feeds right now. So listen to that one as well. But without any further delay, here is myself and Bryce Hendricks talking about Muhammad Gay. I am joined now by Bryce Hendricks of the Upside Swings podcast and many other things in the basketball space. Bryce, thank you for doing this. I appreciate you coming on the podcast. Yeah, of course. Uh, you know, any any excuse to talk about a, a WSU player <laughs> making the NBA, I got to take because uh, there's been like a grand total of three of them since I was born, basically. So, you know, I kind of got to I kind of got to savor it when I can. Yeah, I don't know how old you are, but I think you were probably a little bit young for the Clay Thompson era when he first came out. Maybe I'm wrong about that. My, but, uh, my first basketball memory is being nine years old and watching Clay Thompson in Beasley. So, like, that's like there you go. <laughs> he was drafted, yeah, when I was nine. So, I was a little before that. Kyle Weaver was technically after I was born as well. That's a real throwback, former oh, yeah. Oklahoma City Thunder. Um, but then, yeah, it was. it's those two, CJ Ellaby, and now Gay are the only four Cougs to be drafted since I was born. Yeah, that's uh, that kind of tells the story, and uh, you know that also I will I said, I said this to you offline. I'll say it to you online. You know, I always try to do these kind of capsule episodes on the draftees, and uh, when they drafted Muhammad Gay, uh, you were my entire list. I was like, I hope Bryce will do this podcast because Washington State basketball not the most like fruitful, but I, I do trust you, which is uh, important to ask uh, come come on the podcast. I've, I've been on your podcast too, so uh, I do I sincerely appreciate you doing this. And we'll spend most of the time on Muhammad Gay, but I will also let you get get your takes off later on if you want to about Kobe Bufkin or whatever else you want to. But we'll, we'll come back to that at the end. Um, so, you know, obviously it was not a huge surprise to me. I don't know about you, about one of you know, the Hawks drafting Muhammad Gay. I, I heard a little bit about that in a couple of days before that he was on their radar. I want to go back to the beginning, though. This is kind of the point of doing these is like 
Um, it was talk. It was a talking point that was out there. Like he's not been playing basketball for all that long. He was uh, a late arrival to the game of basketball by all accounts. Grew up in Senegal, of course. Played played soccer there, all that stuff. But you know, physical tools wise, he's really impressive. And actually, was a pre time, pretty big time high school recruit. Which I want to ask you, like, how does a guy that has top fifty bona fides end up at Washington State? All, all due respect to you, of course, your <laughs> Washington State Cougars. But like, that's kind of a surprise that someone of his pedigree would even have gone there. So tell me about kind of what happens there before he even gets to college. So. I was fairly familiar with Gay like the second WCU kind of popped up on the radar for him. I was I was like, okay, I'm going to watch a ton of prolific preps. So I watched him a ton there, got a good feel for for his game. He he played with, I mean, some prolific prep produces a lot of you know really high level recruits and NBA players, and so he's yeah. played with a lot of guys there, and uh, like Jalen Green, for example. Um, and his his game was always like he's very raw but he's queerly super athletic. And then he get he got sold a lot as this, like, you know, has guard skill, big man who can dribble the ball a little bit and uh, get on top of the rim and maybe shoot. The shot looked better in high school than it translated to uh, college. Um, but our staff is just, we have a really good connection with a lot of uh, players from Africa. Uh, F.A. Boogity was a great example who was from Nigeria and came uh he played for the NBA Global Academy in Australia and came to WSU and uh, basically had the only two healthy seasons of his entire basketball life at WSU and then played for the G League Ignite and was good in his like 18 games for the for the Ignite, but then kind of fell off, sadly, due to injury. Um, but, you know, this next year they have a, a big man from, I, I believe, Nigeria, uh, Ruben Chinyelu coming in, who had offers from like Florida and uh, some other big programs. WSU, uh, our staff, specifically John Anderscheck, uh, but also Kyle Smith, you know, just really good recruiters in general. Like we just got recently um, Adam and Jay, who's uh, had offers from like Memphis, Penny Hardaway at Memphis. So I feel like WSU is kind of on the rise here in terms of like top end talent. Now, the portal's another thing, right? You lose guys <laughs> oh, yeah. like, like TJ Bomba to Villanova because we just don't have the NIL money. Um but, you know, Bomba's like a borderline NBA prospect to me. I wouldn't expect WCU to become any type of, like, prospect powerhouse. But don't be surprised if this is not the last guy under Kyle Smith to be drafted kind of in this top 45 range. Because, you know, there's always – even, like, Kamani Hunsu, uh, who is a big guy in France. I talked a lot with the great PD Webb about him and just, like, his game and how he kind of projects as a interesting maybe two-and-done player who had some growing to do. But – uh, just super athletic as like a six five guard who can really pass. So, you know, Kyle Smith has done a great job there, and, and Gay was probably is probably still like the prized recruit that maybe maybe the best recruit he'll ever get because um, on some I believe on two four seven he got as high as like thirty seven at one point. You know, like you said, bona fide top fifty guy. We beat out Kentucky and Kansas for him. So uh, now now how hard those guys are going after him, it's hard to say. You know, but it, it feels like fairly consistent, especially with these uh, athletic rim running big men from Africa. We just tend to have a great feel. Even Adrame Jong, who um, who just left, uh, was kind of pushed out a little bit, um, you know, was a big recruit and, uh, you know, just w- was from Africa and had only played for a couple of years. But uh, our staff just has a great feel for getting those guys. So. Um, you know, Gay was kind of the second one, and it's been basically four straight years where we've signed a player like that. And uh, like I said, I don't expect this to be the last one to get drafted. 
Today's show is brought to you by Prize Picks. If you enjoy the DFS space, check out the awarding app at Prize Picks. Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy. It's amazing. I know that you will love it as well. It's very easy to use. I've been playing there for quite a while now, really a couple of years. It's really a breeze to operate within the Prize Picks structure. At Prize Picks, you pick two to six players. Actually, choose whether they have more or less a certain number of points or rebounds or yards in football, total bases in baseball, etc. With 25 times the money on your entries at Prize Picks, and they offer numbers on all kinds of sports: NBA, college basketball, NFL, MLB, NHL, PGA, soccer, esports, and more. And a whole entry can be done in just a minute or less. It's that easy and that quick. Plus, it's just you against the numbers, making it very straight ahead to evaluate. They have safe and fast withdrawals. And they're operating in more than 30 states now, plus Canada. Download the app right now, PrizeBase or PrizeBase.com. To sign up and play Daily Fantasy Sports right now. If you're a first-time user, get 100% instant deposit match at $100 with promo code Locked On. Don't forget that promo code. It is Locked On at sign up for the instant deposit match up to $100. Check it out now at PrizeBase. So I want to follow up with what you said a bit ago about him being raw, which I've, I've shared too. Like he's very toolsy. The physical profile is really impressive. I think 6'10 without shoes, 7'3 wingspan, 9'2 standing reach. Like he's, he's very long and very, uh, very talented as far as like kind of ball skills for his size. He is very thin right now. I think he, I think he waited at like 212 at the combine at that size, which is very, very thin. Um, but I mean, I think we'll just start there. And the fact that like, even the Hawks, and I, I heard a little bit from them around the draft about this. Like they, they definitely liked what they saw, but it is certainly more of a projection bet. And I think that they liked a lot of the sort of the raw, the raw tools. And does that kind of stack up? Because clearly we'll talk about what he was in college and what he kind of has proven to be. But broadly speaking, before we got to kind of get more into the details, it seems like this is kind of a bet on the physical profile and the fact that he does have some ball skills and a general skill level, but not necessarily a guy who's like the most polished compared to a lot of people that might go in the top 40 of the draft. So it's interesting because I, you're right. It's definitely a bet on tools. It's a bet on like these kind of disparate elements of his game. But I also think it's a bet on someone who took a gigantic leap from their freshman to sophomore year. Um, yep. He is already 21. So there's kind of these questions. And I, I think like, like basketball people tend to fall on different sides of the spectrum where it's like, what's most important, like your actual like birth age or kind of your quote unquote playing age with like, you know, Gabe being someone who came to the game so late. And um, you can see that, like you watch him, like there's just not a ton of natural basketball feel there at all. Um, it, it really bothers me defensively. Um, and some of that was that he did not want to play the five this year. Uh, he, that was not his, that was not our staff's plan. That was not his plan. <laughs> He was supposed to be the four with Deshaun Jackson and Adrami John kind of filling it the five, but John was just too raw and John couldn't stay healthy either. Um, and then Jackson uh, had a season ending medical emergency that uh, he couldn't, he didn't play a single game for WSU this year because he was, uh, he was hurt. And um, you know, that's the type of stuff you don't expect. And gay did really admirably going from, Hey, you're going to be a four. You're going to be on the perimeter. We're going to let you use those skills to, you're our only big man. Uh, you have to do everything. You have to, I mean, he would play like 38 minutes a night most nights because we just had no other fives. WSU was super thin at the big man spot because of injury stuff this year. In general, we had two players miss the whole season with medical emergencies, including Miles Rice, who had cancer. So it's like, that's just kind of like tough. It's a tough thing to plan for. But, um, you know, I, I think the stuff with Gay is that he's, raw but physically he's there and like he has like certain things that don't seem raw in that he is his like footwork on the perimeter is pretty good he's he's there's kind of a with bigs there's sometimes real mobile bigs and fake mobile bigs i would say for the most part he's a real mobile big in terms of purely lateral athleticism he's pretty quick laterally um 
there were times like as a freshman playing next to a boogity, he would be like chasing shooters around the perimeter, getting over hmm. screens and stuff. Like wow. that was usually against lower level comp, but it's something he could do um, here and there. And that's always impressive to see. Um, but he's just not there like, like uh, mentally in terms of how he reads the game. And then also skill wise, everything is flashes. Um, but like I said, you, you buy the improvement a little bit. He took a major jump as a shooter uh, he took a major, major passing jump. He went from one of like the worst passers I've ever seen to pretty passable as the hub of our offense, which he he had a lot of turnovers, right? Like that Ronis showed up and a lot of his reads were fairly schemed, but he had to be the hub. He was the lead decision maker for WSU as a sophomore, um, as someone who's only been, that was his third year playing, I believe third or fourth year, like total playing basketball. Um, so, you know, you kind of, buy, you buy that work ethic, you buy that improvement track record and also everyone just loves him. Like he's a, you know, I, I can speak from experience. Like he's just a nice guy. He's the type of guy who wants to high five everyone who wants to say hi to you when he sees you in the hall, if, if he knows you. And, um, you know, as, as a student and also, you know, I was on the women's basketball practice team. So I spent a lot of time kind of in and around gay when he was coming to or leaving practice, like just someone who was always, you know, chipper. And, and that, that's probably something the Hawks bought into a little bit is because NBA teams, as we saw with someone like Cam Whitmore falling to 20, really buy a good interview, really buy someone who they think can improve their locker room culture. And that's something everyone will just give glowing reviews about gay because he's that type of guy. So you combine work ethic, good personality and tools, and you kind of just hope that something can click eventually. Yeah, that's basically exactly what I've heard from the Hawks. And clearly, you know, they drafted a guy. They have some incentive to talk about him in a positive fashion to people like me. But um, I heard great stuff from what they thought about, you know, his makeup. He was, uh, you know, he was engaging with them. Uh, he, they like what he brings in sort of that way. And and look, to be fair, like I, I talked about how, you know, the perception is that he is raw. And there's some stuff that's raw. But to, like you pointed out, he made a big leap this year. He was all Pac-12. Like you can debate what that means, but he, he was he was productive. Uh, it wasn't like he was a total like there are certain guys in the draft you know this very well that are like pure projection bets that have not been productive at the college level. He was productive. I mean, he was you can't you can't fake first team all Pac-12. Like that's something that does matter. Um, Fourteen point eight rebounds, all that stuff. Actually, I believe he led the Pac-12 in offensive rebounding this year. That's an interesting thing. Obviously, the the tools are there. I do want to ask you, and I don't want to put him in a box, but the thing about uh, you talked about him playing center and kind of being pushed in that direction. Um, I'm not making fun of Hawks fans because they, they wouldn't have seen him so much, but I've already had a few people ask me like kind of why they need Bruno Fernando still because they have Muhammad Gay as their third center. I'm like, guys, you got to watch the tape. Like, I, I don't think he's ready right now. And this is not a shot at him to kind of anchor a defense at center. Like he, you know, for instance, he had less than a block a game this year. That's only one thing. But as far as like he, he was not supposed to be developed in that way. And I wonder what you make. We'll come back to the offense too, but I wonder what you make of the defensive side of the floor because you talked about him getting over screens, all that stuff. Like, do you think that he has the ability, let's say two or three years from now, to be even as a backup center? Like, can he anchor a defense that's like the the only big, the primary big at the five, or is it always going to be kind of like he needs somebody next to him to kind of help him do that? I think he profiles best as like a change of pace defensive big. So okay. if he's gonna if he's gonna fill in as like a backup role, say 18, 20 minutes a night it would probably be to switch. I think the instincts uh, and, and the execution are just too far behind. And while he's obviously young in playing time, it does matter that he's 21 years old. And at a certain point, you know, in two, three years, he'll be basically hitting the prime of his career. I'm not sure the instinct curve can really jump that high. Um, mm -hmm. Some of the low block stuff was our staff told him, like, if he had two fouls, 
do not contest any more shots. I was going to ask that because yeah. that, that's it. Kind of feels like that's a, that was a college system thing, as to because you know just on the tools alone, you feel like he would have blocked more shots than he than he actually did, just if he was allowed to kind of do that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We, we would tell him at a certain point, like you got to stop because we had again we had no backup. Our backup yeah. big was a walk on who joined the team halfway through the year because he played football through December. Like that's and, and that is good context. That, that's something that I would never have known, even if someone watches a lot yeah. of college basketball. This is why I, I have people like you in the podcast. But all right, tell me the story here because it's always interesting. Kind of that. Uh, that, that nuance is important for sure. Yeah, that's and, and and you know, like that's not to say that he would have been like a ton better as a rim protector sure. because even when he is trying, like, and there's certain things that frustrate me. I, I don't know if it's I don't want to say it's a motor thing because there are times he plays high motor, but like he was kind of slow, like recovering and hedge. Like we would hard hedge him a lot because we didn't want him near the rim to pick up fouls. So we would hard hedge and then hope that you know we could. Uh, force teams to drive and and into bad spots basically but there were times like he would just be slow recovering to the big and and let a plus one pass into the paint for a you know for a huge dunk and in his best games he looks really high energy but in his worst games he looks really low energy and that inconsistency can be a bit uncomfortable um and some of that you know he did deal with a back injury towards the end of the year um but you know i i, I would say that that is at least a little bit of a worry. I think some of it too is lots of times guys can look no motor if they don't really know what they're doing. Um, and I think there is some of that with him too, where it's like, I, I heard that he would work hard. He would try and execute scheme, but um, he's just like, you know, being new to the game, he's just not quite that uh, quick reader that, that quick, uh, he doesn't have that adaptability defensively. So I'd be shocked if he could ever anchor a team um, as like a drop big or anything. I, I that's just yeah. not his game. Uh, he'd probably have to be a switch guy or at the very least to get to the level and kind of, you know, force a scramble guy, which the Hawks have solid personnel, I feel like, on the wing to maybe execute that if needed. But uh, that's all, that's not always ideal. Um, but and we'll talk, you said we'll talk about offense in a second. But, um, you know, he profiles like best offensively as a five, I think. So I would be a little wary of playing him at the four. Um, maybe he could get to that point where he can, um, you know, I, I think the defense is going to have to play the four, right? Like, especially backup force. Yeah. Like, he could absolutely guard Marcus Morris tomorrow, I think. And, and you know, you know how, how, how well, it's hard to say, but uh, he could not be food on the perimeter. Um, but I don't know that you want him playing as the four offensively because you're probably taking away his best skill set. So I, I, I think you got to find a way to either have him be a change of pace big uh, where he's switching a lot or – um, you know, kind of live with maybe some rough rim protection. He'll have moments like his blocks look really good, um, especially if he can load up off one. That's his where his athleticism is at its best. Like he had quite a few like comfort behind chased out blocks this year where um, he's a couple steps behind the ball, but because he can cover so much ground and explode off one really well, that's how he gets to his blocks. But he didn't, he wasn't great in rotation as like the low man at all. And he was not, um, someone who protected the rim well out of drop at all. So both those things kind of point to me where I'd, I'd be shocked if he's ever that type of defender as, as a backup or as a starter. Yeah, I think that's good and useful for people to hear because I think it's very natural to see his measurements, in particular the wingspan, the standing reach on that, just assume, you know, center. And that's and that's fine. And obviously he has a lot of center uh, tools, but I think it's more nuanced than that, which I think you did a good job of sort of explaining there. And uh, also just, you know, the Hawks are, again, kind of betting on a little bit of the, of the offensive approach, too. So, again, 
the offensive rebounding was really impressive this year. I had one question before I kind of turn it over to you to tell me what, I, what, what you think I should know about his offense. He was not particularly efficient this year, um, which is, again, context is always important there, but uh, 53% true shooting. He was kind of only mediocre on twos, which is a little bit strange given his skill set. I think he didn't uh, – I saw some synergy numbers. Like, he didn't shoot very well on, like, all jump shots, not, not just threes. Took, took a lot of mid-rangers. Wasn't, like, fantastic at the rim either. Is that a concern? Like, what what is in, – in your mind – I'll just open it up. Is that a concern, number one? And also, what do you think he's going to be like? What's his calling card on offense in the NBA? Like, what if, if it works, how's it going to work on offense? I'm not super concerned about the like at rim efficiency. Um, I would say he does not have great touch, but most of his rim attempts were self created, as kind of weird as that sounds. Um, and I tweeted this kind of early in the year, like when we were, when, when people would bring up his efficiency, like his shot diet is that of a wing because the offense yeah. ran through him. Most of his shots came out of isolation, which for for good and for bad, like <laughs> I, I, I uh, we, WSU did not have a point guard. They brought in Justin Powell, hoping he'd be a point guard. Uh, Powell just did not have that aggressive bone in his body to ever really run a high level pick and roll. Um, you know, TJ Bomba is just not that type of passer. Akimovsky is wing, whatever. Like they just did not have a point guard, so uh, they kind of pivoted to they. they in the past, they've liked to run these heavy pick and roll schemes, lots of Spain, uh, staggers. Um, however, like, however, you know, very pick and roll, but pick and roll nonetheless, you know, Mike with Mike flowers. And before that, Isaac Bonton. Um, but last year they just don't have the, the horses to do it. That was going to be miles rice, but miles rice got, um, got leukemia and couldn't do it. So they were kind of like, okay, well, we're just going to pivot everything and just run nonstop chin sets. And so they would run a lot of, uh, you know, DHO stuff with, gay and hey if the handoff isn't there just iso just do whatever right. and in his best games it looks really good right like if you go watch that arizona game at arizona where wsu upset the wildcats um he looked great he abused azulas tubelis he <laughs> he completely murdered henry vassar when they put him in uh and omar bio also could not touch him so it's like at his best it looks really good but it also just results in a lot of one dribble mid-range shots and he shot yeah. uh 34.9 percent on 150 long twos it's not like a horrible that, that number is a lot, that is a lot of long twos though I, that, it for, is a lot for, of for, long for, for a college season and a player of what his archetype is like just to just to back you up on that just that's a ton of long twos for this kind of player yeah sure. and 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 uh i'm pretty sure every single one was self-created i mean <laughs> Which, probably, yeah. probably not like there's probably like one or two floaters in there that were off a off a bounce pass on the baseline or whatever, but like in general, like most of those were self-created and some of that's a worry, right? Like why is he only creating mid-range jumpers out of isolation? Mm -hmm. But also in the NBA, I don't think he's ever going to be running isolations. Um, I actually think yeah. what his, what his best skill set in the league is, is probably as a versatile role man. Uh, he, he didn't get to show it a ton because as a freshman, he only played 20 minutes game and he was playing next to one of the better role men in uh, in the Pac-12 in F.A. Boogity. Um, so he was kind of asked to be more of like a spacer and and um, just kind of fill in the gaps offensively. And then during his sophomore year, they didn't have a point guard, but he is super springy off the ground, off one or off two, doesn't need a, a long load time at all. In, in fact, like some of his putbacks are part of what made him such an effective offensive rebounder. It's just that he gets off the ground quicker than basically everybody else. Um he was uh, underrated as one of the quicker leapers in this draft, I think. Um, and 
he has you mentioned that nine two standing reach like he can really high point lobs when he does get them um there was one specifically from his freshman year where uh tj bomba threw a lob from like three feet behind the three-point line and he jumped over arizona state's big to like crunch this huge dunk and (laughs) um it's just like you don't you know, that type of stuff, he didn't get to show a ton, but he has in his game. I mentioned the versatility with him as a leap or two. He can get up off one or off two. So all that stuff really projects to me uh, strongly at the next level. Plus, you know, the handle's raw. Like, it's not it's not all there. He predetermines moves a lot. But he does have legitimate shift for a 6'10 guy. Like, when he does catch a big off guard and hits a hard right-to-left cross, he can really explode out of it and get downhill at times. So... You think of that maybe in the short roll if a team is blitzing Trey Young off and, um, you know, he can look off to the corner and hit a hard cross and get to the rim. So that's what I think he projects as best if he did not get to do that at all. Um, so, you know, if he get, if he can – and then, you know, also you have the hope of the pick and pop, which – Right. Questions? I have questions on that. But, um, you know, if he can do that, then you're talking about a really, really versatile role man, I think. Yeah, and his shot looks – pretty good for a player of his size if you just look at the way it comes off his hand uh the way that i heard it from someone around the hawks is the way that i'll say it is like they almost told me to not worry about the stuff he was doing in college almost i think they're they're kind of trying to picture him out of that context if that makes sense that's a very simplified version but like i think that to your point he's not going to be playing anything close to the same role in the pros as he was at Washington state, which makes it a difficult evaluation in some respects, which is why another reason why I'm asking you because you were up there, you were up close and personal, but it is kind of tough now that like, I've been able to watch more and more film of him. Like it is hard to kind of figure out what tracks and what translates and what, what does it because of just the way that he was used. And um, they are, they are buying, I think they buy his jump shot. I don't know if that's going to work long-term, but they do think that it's, it's projectable. That's something Lavery Field said from the podium at the introductory press conferences. Like they do think that he can shoot it. Um, they did kind of stress, and I, maybe it's just expectation management, but they're trying to like, like, hey, he's got a long way to go. Like they're definitely they're they're acknowledging that. Like they're talking they're, they're talking about him like he's more of a long term play. But uh, I'll be interested to see what what they envision the role being. I think he's going to be in College Park a lot this year. If I had to guess, they haven't said that, but I, I'm guessing that's what that's, that's what's going to happen. And I look forward to just seeing him play against pros and more of what they and more of a scheme that, that what they actually want him to do and like that can tell you a lot like how do they even use him at college park can actually be pretty intuitive as to how they're going to use him if he ever makes it sort of to regular minutes i have a i have a quick brief anecdote about the shot Feel free. Um, wsu uh implemented this um i can't remember exactly what it's called but basically it's this uh machine that sat behind the baskets of our practice gym that would measure the arc of your jumper hmm. right and uh, because the thought was that Gaze was just too flat. He was generally shooting about 41, 42 uh, degrees on his shot. And that's why, like, he's so comfortable taking mid-rangers, and then he steps out to three, and it, he's so uncomfortable um, because the arc is so flat. And you think generally, like, you want higher arc as you get, as you get farther out. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I shot on it a couple times. I shoot, like, a 48-degree 48, 48 arc, so it's it's a very extreme difference. But... That was like a big thing for them is they're like, listen, if he wants to shoot threes, he has to get the arc up. And I think that kind of shows if you watch his tape, like it's not something we always think about into like when you break down a player shooting and their shooting projection, you're like, okay, let's start with form. Let's go to touch. We don't always think of like the arc of a shot or like, or like some of the minute details like that. But um, that's something they were really, uh, you know, focusing on and, it didn't really work in terms of the numbers from three, but he did shoot like much, much better from the free throw line 
uh, obviously did take and make those um, those mid rangers occasionally. So that's kind of uh, just a fun little fun little story that WSU staff was doing. It is. I mean, and I think that that's again something that's pretty interesting to hear. And he wasn't. Um, I don't think he did drills at the combine. I think he just kind of measured. There was some injury stuff. You is there anything concerning about the injury stuff? I meant to ask you that earlier. Like I know we didn't participate from what I saw, but is there is there anything that lingers that you're aware of coming out of college? Because he played the whole season. I yeah. He had some back issues that start about halfway through the year, which is almost ironic, right? You think like, oh, he carried the whole team on his back. His back. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, you know, but uh, and then like towards the end of the season, during like the final play, I think this was like this, like the final play of the second to last regular season game. He like throws down this huge dunk and Braxton Mia like shoves him in the back and he falls hard on his back. Oh, and geez. this was at UW, right? So it's like kind of a rivalry game. UW was sure. awful this year, so it's like they were kind of in a bad mood, it seemed like. Um, and he he falls hard on his back, and he kept playing. But if you watch, like, the couple games after that, specifically, like, that uh, the Cal and Oregon games in the Pac-12 tournament, he did, just did not look healthy. He looked really – he looked rough. He was slow. Um, and, you know, like, when, when you're a big who relies so much on athleticism, like, that's really killer. But we didn't have any other options. And then right. he didn't play in the NIT game. Uh, he was out for okay. the NIT game. Um, for that back issue, and instead of playing it big, WC just started uh, 6'5", Kamani Hansu at the five. So, which um, tells you all you, need, all you need to know about how the situation was, like you said earlier, like the fact yeah. that they were uh, strapped to do that. I just want to make sure that I circle back to that because I noticed that he didn't do any. And look, uh, your mile, your mileage may vary on how much you care about the drills at the combine. I, I don't really care much about the drills at the combine, to be honest. He did measure in, but uh, there you go. Yeah, um, I wouldn't. I'll just say quickly, like I wouldn't yeah. expect it to be like like something huge long-term because it was, it was, I believe caused by like specific instances, which is generally like less worrying than like a chronic issue for me, but it, it's worth That's noting true. at the very least that he's a big guy who's hurt his yeah. back before. So. Yeah. And again, you know, the frame, he is very, very thin. I think just like most, most uh, prospects, Kobe Buckins, one like this, like this as well, he's going to have to get bigger and get, get stronger. That's, that's notable. They, they all know that. And they've been very open about it too. Um, I mean, I, I, we could go forever. I, I know I don't want to. I don't want to over uh, overstuff you on this. But uh, uh, I'll ask you this before we get out of here. Um, let's. I, I asked you kind of what what the role might be, but I'll uh, I'll allow you to dream a little bit. What's the uh, re- relatively reasonable, like best case scenario for Muhammad Gay? Like, what do you see if everything comes together in a way that could? like not crazy hundred percentile, but you know what I mean? Like what, what's a positive outcome for him as far as like what his role becomes, what he's able to do at the next level, because look, it's still a second round pick, but it's a top 40 pick. It's a, it's a real investment that they're making in him. So I wonder what you think like it could look like, again, I'm not going to hold you to this. This is, I'm purposely asking you to be optimistic, but uh, what, what, what does that kind of look like for you? I think the bet, like the, like the best, best case outcome is that he is like a top 25 ish big who is, if he's a backup, he's one of the best backups. Um, if he's a starter, your defense is probably rough, but he has some playoff utility because he can switch. So that would be my like that's the best case outcome is that he's not like a great regular season big, but because he can switch and in the best case he can shoot a little bit, he becomes a really valuable playoff player. Um, you know, I, I think his like his best case actually looks kind of similar to like a Noah Clownies who went you know, 18 bigs above him. And I kind of prefer gay because I think gay is more athletic. Um, but Ooh. I, I, and I, I mean, obviously I'm a little biased, but I actually came across <laughs> like 
I came across a little lower on Gay than I expected. Uh, of the three guys on my podcast, I had him the lowest. Um, I had him right at 41, so I thought 39 was like a right, exactly there. Yeah, and um, I, I think that's like your best case is that you know he's a he's a 15 to 20 minute guy in the regular season who provides some bench spark, but then in the playoffs, like if if you need to, he can close games because. He can guard fives, but he can also switch and he can hit some shots on the outside while still being a competent role man for a Trey Young or a DeJounte Murray or a Kobe Buffkin. So there you go. No, I, yeah, and I think uh, that makes a lot of sense what you said there. And, you know, being there's some value to being versatile and being able to switch. And I think, especially long term, if you if you buy that the Hawks might be building around a Kong Wu, um, that's interesting too. Like another guy who is, you know, not the biggest, but also very, very versatile defensively. They might be able to be pretty creative if uh, if things were to work out very, very well with Muhammad Gay. Which again, you can't you can't bank on that. This is still a second round pick. But I want I, I wanted you to be optimistic because you know I think you know me a little bit. I uh, not always the most optimistic in the world. I like to be practical. But I had you on to talk about your guy from Washington State. I have to let you cook a little bit about the positivities. So. Absolutely. Do you? Uh, we could spend some time on the pessimistic case, but it's the exact same as every <laughs> second round pick, right? He's just not an NBA player. And he doesn't spend much yeah, time here. Yeah. Yeah, I almost I almost asked that, but that's like you know, nothing translates, and you're just out of the league in three years, and that's that's a very normal thing. I mean, look, I, I don't have all the data in front of me, but I, there's been some studies made about second round picks, especially you know guys outside the top 35 or 36, whatever it is, and like the hit rate's not very high. I mean, a lot of guys wash out, and that wouldn't be the craziest thing in the world. Um, and again, he's they're kind of banking on him as more, you know, I don't want to use the I don't want to use the term project negatively, but they, they see him as like. It's uh, it's more of a long term play, which is fine. That's that's part of the deal with second round picks. Um, well, feel free to add anything else you want to, Bryce. And if not, um, please also tell people where they can find you because I I really enjoy what I've been on your podcast before. You are a great follow on Twitter, and I will let you plug yourself as well. But I will say that right right now, everyone should be following Bryce's work. Uh, I, I appreciate that. I, I guess my final thought with Gay is just like. I, you know, he's a good interview. So Brad, if you ever get the chance, um, and hopefully it's league. Just... I'm looking forward to it. I just, I just, he's such an easy guy to root for, right? Like coming from WSU is uh, obviously that gives him a, a special place in my heart, but even compared to other like former kooks, like he's just so, he, he's such a nice guy. Every interaction I've ever had with him has been positive. Um, he would always, you know, give me, give me a fist bump and, and ask how I was doing it whenever I saw him. And that type of stuff is like, you know, you don't always get that from like athletes, especially like, I mean, he was probably a top three, like most famous person on WSU's campus at any given time. Like, and he stands out a little more than six foot nothing Cam Ward. He's a six eleven guy with super long arms that scratch the back of his knees, so he kind of be spotted anywhere. And um, you know, for him to just be that positive all the time, I think is is is, it makes him really easy to root for. But yeah, I mean, you can follow me at Twitter on Bryce at Bryce Hendrick fourteen. Uh, follow the Upside Swings podcast because uh, we do a lot of a lot of work over there, and uh, you know talked about gay, and we had this, we've had Brad on twice now talk about the Hawks. Yeah. Um, hopefully Twitter like works. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but uh, if not, then I you know I, that's my at on uh, uh, Instagram and TikTok too. I guess so. Maybe I'll follow the follow the there. podcast. Nothing else. If nothing else. Please subscribe to Upside Swings. Yes, uh, absolutely. Yeah, if, if Twitter goes away, that's one way to find you somewhere, and then you can share on that podcast where to find you from there. So, uh, but thank you again. I really appreciate you doing this. I don't know when exactly this is going to post, but it'll be before summer league. I can pledge to that. And uh, yeah, a lot of things working around the scenes. The Hawks, when we're recording this podcast, the Hawks have done nothing. So if they did something after this, we'll find out. And uh, hopefully this podcast will see the light of day. So cross your fingers on Muhammad Gay being on the roster. <laughs> and then uh, if not, if uh, not, you'll have to send it. You'll have to send this audio clip to whoever they 
whoever trades for him and just say you can yeah as, as soon as soon as that trade happens i will either press publish on the podcast and just say oh it went up sorry guys or uh, <laughs> just yeah forward it on to somebody else but thanks again bryce i do appreciate it man yeah, uh, as for everybody else please subscribe to this podcast again follow bryce's work and we'll see you all next time